Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I'm here with Bobby Casey, uh, Chief Dominatrix, uh, Head <laughs> Hojo, Head Huncho, and Chief Bottle Washer at um, GlobalWealthProtection.com. Uh, we are going to do a conference together, which means that uh, he's kindly invited me to go uh, do a speech. I'm going to do a speech on the history of ethics at a conference in Belize in March, which you can, we'll, we'll give the website out for that in a sec. But uh, thanks so much for, for taking the time today, Bobby. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, first of all, I do want to say thank you for agreeing to come speak at our conference in Belize. I'm really looking forward to it. I definitely think you will be uh, amongst your amongst your peers at this event. It's it's well, that's, uh, uh, it, it's it's filled with uh, well, well I, I say it's filled with libertarians and anarcho capitalists. Uh, people call me all the time and say, "What kind of people come to this thing?" And I say, "I'll put it to you this way: If you're a hardcore Republican or a Democrat, you probably won't feel terribly comfortable here." So, you're right, right. So that's that's at globalescapehatch.com if you want to check that out. But I was really interested in the idea behind asset protection oh my god you know you sit down at a dinner party and say i'm into asset protection and people either think you're talking about condoms or they've already, already fallen asleep uh, before you finish your <laughs> sentence but there is something really important uh, about it that i think we should uh, we spend a few minutes just just talking about so obviously the huge socialist more of the state is opening up like one of those giant worms in the dune movie to swallow up everybody's assets and most people sort of have I guess there are three strategies I've sort of encountered in the libertarian community. One is, unfortunately, commonly, don't get any assets. <laughs> don't have any assets and, <laughs> right. and sort of uh, uh, stay poor. And the other is go off the grid. And the third is gather assets and cross your fingers. And you bring to the table something that I wasn't aware of until, I guess, relatively recently, the, the fourth option, which is proactive asset protection. So... Let's, let's talk a little bit about that because I think it's important information for libertarians to have. Okay, yeah. So you're <laughs> you're you're exactly right. The uh, the the dinner party conversation about asset protection it's it's not it's not exactly a, a panty dropper if you don't mind me saying. It's uh, we're we're not the hot conversationalist. Nobody says, "Oh, tell me more about offshore trusts and bank accounts." That's fascinating. So listen, everybody, everybody stop talking. We have an asset protection specialist yeah. here. All eyes on you. Well, yeah, we, we have this professional basketball player over here or an asset protection specialist. <laughs> Woo, let's, let's talk to that guy. He's fascinating. Um, no, yeah, we, we, we don't get that kind of attention. I, I do my best when I do speaking presentations to keep it interesting and, and intriguing with uh, storytelling and that sort of thing. But um, for the most part, it's it's just not glamorous. But you're you're right. There, most people have kind of um, you know in, in the libertarian anarcho-capitalist world anyway, or not anarcho-capitalist, but anarchist world. Let's say, it, like you said, people say, forget it. I'm just not going to have anything. You know, I'm going to uh, live live a, a complete minimalist lifestyle, and you know. But to me, that's a that's just another form of slavery. It's a paycheck to paycheck. It's stressful. It's it's not a pleasant thing. I'm sure you've been there. We've all been there. I mean, we, we've all been poor. I mean, I, I could say I've had times where I've had money. I've had times where I've not had money. It's always more fun when I have money. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, the, the, second, the second method is go off the grid and... In the increasing police state in the U.S. and around the world, the Western world, going off the grid is 
it's getting really, really damn difficult. I mean, it's still possible, but you almost have to be the first guy with nothing to go off the grid and stay off the grid because once you start transacting any business or, or making any deals, I mean, it, unfortunately, it involves dealing with money, and money involves wire transfers and credit cards and bank accounts and that sort of stuff, and that's where you, you put yourself back, back in the um, back in the long light. And then the third thing is... Yeah, and I mean, sorry, that's that's yep. a decision too, you know, as a relatively new dad. I mean, that's a decision that you can make for yourself. It's a bit more of a challenging decision to feel comfortable making on behalf of your children. Uh, because, of course, once you have kids, uh, let alone a sore tooth, uh, having access to the rest of society's resources in a non-terrifying way... I think it's pretty much a distinct advantage. So I think the going off the grid thing, and, and I think it's as much, if not more slavery than living uh, at the minimum wage lifestyle, because, you know, you say, well, I'm free of the state because I'm living in the woods. It's like, you're not, because you're only living in the woods because of the state. So being chased off the reservation doesn't uh, make you free. Right. I mean, you're, you're, you're living in the woods out of fear, and that the, the fear you're against is the state. So in essence, like you said, you, you're still a slave to the state. You're just, in essence, a slave to your fear of the state. So I, I don't see that as a, a, a rational rational way to live. And, you know, you mentioned the third thing most people do. Most people just uh, cross their fingers and, and hope they're okay. And I, I don't know, you know, um, I know you live in Canada. Of course, I live in Europe, and we're, I live in Latvia, which is not terribly litigious. But in the U.S., Hugely, hugely litigious country. I mean, um, last statistic I read, there's a new lawsuit filed every 16 seconds, if that's, that can even be fathomed. But if you think about it, there's over 1.2 million practicing attorneys now, as of last year in the U.S., with over 600,000 in law school as we speak. So you're not getting any less litigious nowadays. So if, if you're going to have money, you need to do something to think about. Asset protection. Most people just. It, well, I gave a presentation a couple of days ago to a, a pretty decent-sized group of entrepreneurs, and like most entrepreneurs, you start thinking about how to run your business and what you do to take care of your business day in and day out, and you forget about the the risks that exist out there until it's too late. You know, most people say, "I'm I'm not at risk for litigation until you are." Right. So you, it does take right, a proactive right, right. approach. So, so there's a couple of things that, that you've talked about uh, uh, on the website, which, I mean, I, I th I'll let you, you go into the details, but uh, it really does seem to be around uh, hiding assets legally. I mean, everything that we're talking about here is perfectly legal, above the board, nothing skullduggery, no money laundering, no, you know, if you sew it into your intestines, you can smuggle it off the plane. <laughs> uh, so it's all perfectly legal, but there are ways, of, of course, of hiding the assets that you have, and there are ways of... Um, uh, keeping it out of the reach of any particular bunch of tax-grabbing thugs. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, it's it's important to stay within the bounds of the law. As much as we may despise the state for, for these things and, and what it forces us to do and be, you, you still have to live within the bounds of reality as well. And that that <laughs> does involve uh, uh, following following the letter of the law to that regard. You can't just say, forget it, I don't care what the law says, because whether you believe it or not, whether you agree with it or not, I'm sorry, whether you agree with it or not, you can get tossed in jail for doing the wrong thing. So it is important to stay within the bounds of the law. And there's lots of 
legal strategies. I mean, it's a very personalized approach, asset protection planning. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I look at it as uh, more or less a three three prong approach. We call it the three legged stool to asset protection. One is uh, creating a veil of privacy around your assets. So I'll give you an example. If you have a Joe entrepreneur that lives in Kansas, he's got a house in Kansas in his name, bank accounts in Kansas in his name, maybe a couple of rental houses in Kansas in his name, maybe a, let's say an E-Trade account in Kansas in his name. He is fully exposed. He's fully, um, let's say, chained to that, not just the U.S. market, but to that Kansas market. And he is he's easily attachable or his assets sorry, are easily attachable in a judgment. So if he were to have some significant event, let's say he had a Super Bowl, Super Bowl party at his house and one of his buddies leaves, gets, has a few too many, gets in a car wreck and kills somebody. Well, they're going to look back to, you know, Joe entrepreneur as the one who overserved him at his house at the Super Bowl party. And they find out Joe entrepreneur has three or $4 million worth of assets Everything's in his name. His uh, his profile risk is very high. He's he, all those assets are easily attachable. I mean, for twenty five or thirty bucks, you can get on the internet and find any asset anybody owns in their name. So first and foremost is to create that veil of privacy. Get all those assets out of your name. You use various tools, different uh, entities domestically in the U.S. or in Canada or other countries. You can use various uh, entities like limited companies and corporations. You use offshore structures, offshore companies, offshore limited companies, foundations, trusts, those sorts of things. We we talk about geopolitical diversification quite a, quite a lot in our business, and what what we're talking about is moving assets into various jurisdictions. So now you've not only got it out of your name, but you've also geographically diversified as well. But the first step to that uh, three-legged stool of asset protection is create that veil of privacy. The second is to create the legal legal protections, um, and that's using the proper structures. I, again, that's still the um, using the proper corporate structures, the trust, the foundations, that sort of thing. And then the third is what I just discussed is the diversification. And I'm, I'm not an asset manager, so I don't tell people, you know, put 10% in gold, 10% in cash, 10% in this, this, and this. That's, a, that's an asset manager or financial advisor's job is to talk about the um, asset class diversification. We talk about the geopolitical diversification of maybe having the bank account in, let's say, Cook Islands, the offshore trust in Belize, another bank account maybe in St. Vincent, a brokerage account here and there. And so that really helps minimize people's risk because once you're not tied to any one particular jurisdiction, then if something happens in one place, at least you still have a nest egg in another place. Right. Now, again, just coming from the real amateur outsider's perspective, um, is it not, it's not, is it particularly related to tax? But it's not really because the, in America, don't you get taxed on all of your worldwide income? So it's not a, really a tax minimization strategy, but really just covering your assets, so to speak. Well, yeah, as, as an American, the tax minimization is very, very, very difficult. Um, I mean, obviously, there's various, <coughs> there's various loopholes with like, um, um, qualified retirement plan, uh, qualified retirement plans, um, investing in real estate, which gives you some pretty significant depreciation deductions as of now, anyway. 
um, mortgage interest deduction, that sort of thing. So there, there are some of those things you can do to minimize. Um, but for an American, offshore, minimizing tax offshore is very difficult. Um, there are still a couple of things. There's some uh, offshore, in, offshore insurance products, depending on the, what type of business you're in. You might get uh, set up a cap, uh, captive insurance company offshore, like a lot of doctor's offices and professional practice firms set up uh, captive insurance where more or less they're self-insuring through their own insurance company, like in uh, Bermuda or Bahamas or Caymans or something. Another option to for tax strategies is to set up private offshore private placement life insurance policies inside of a life insurance trust offshore. That is two of the very few ways. The only other way really is if you're legitimately conducting business offshore, then you can set up offshore companies and defer that tax offshore. But when you do repatriate the income into the U.S., you pay tax. So for the most part, Asset protection really has nothing to do with tax strategies. It has to do with risk minimization. So you're you're diversifying your assets, getting it out of your name, making it difficult for any future potential creditor to find your asset, um, number one. If they can find it uh, and you're compelled to disclose it under, you know, uh, under oath, then even once you do disclose it. Yeah, so we were just discussing um, – even if you get to the point where your creditor and you're, you're forced to disclose uh, under oath the location or nature of your assets. For example, let's say you're forced to disclose and the court finds out that you have, a, let's say, a, a, a foundation, for example, in Belize with a couple million dollars in it. Just because they can find it at that point doesn't mean the uh, court can actually uh, get, get a hold of that money because – for example, Belize is not going to recognize a foreign judgment. I mean, you would have to actually be sued in Belize to actually have your money taken there. And, well, in, in the case of a foundation, a foundation is similar to a trust in the sense that you gift the asset away for the, for the use or for the, for the manager of the foundation to uh, manage those assets for the beneficiary. So, once those assets are in a trust or a foundation, they can't touch it anyway. And once it's outside of the country, you can't even compel the uh, foundation manager or trustee to uh, hand over those assets. So, um, this, so yeah, it's not really asset protection. Is in some cases there are some narrowly focused tax minimization strategies, but for the most part, you're minimizing your risk your litigation risk, your uh, minimizing your geopolitical risk. I mean, I have countless, countless stories of clients, people I know that have had their bank accounts or their assets seized or frozen um, because of some type of investigation. Uh, I have actually the reason I just spoke at that event in Minneapolis <clears throat> a couple of days ago was they had just had Excuse me. They had just had a speaker about two months ago come and speak to their group and talk about how um, he he had some issues, tax related issues. Uh, basically, he had his tax tax preparers and his uh, CFO and that sort of thing were doing some funny things with his books, and he ended up they weren't paying tax for a while. I don't know what the time frame was, but he ended up being the uh, shareholder, or the primary shareholder and CEO of the company. He ended up 
getting tossed tossed in jail. And in the in the interim, during the investigation, they more or less wiped him out financially. They froze all of his assets, making it virtually impossible for him to even defend himself. This is during the investigation process, not after he was convicted. Right. So it's the whole guilty until proven innocent thing. Um, and guilty another, without a means another, to defend yourself because you can't pay a lawyer without selling off a kidney. Right, yeah. I mean, he, he was quite wealthy. And granted, yeah, he didn't pay the tax. Sure, he, has, he does have that personal liability because he is the shareholder and the CEO of the company. But they seized his assets and froze his accounts before he was even proven guilty, before they even went to court. They seized it because they were afraid he was going to run with the money. Maybe he would have. I don't know. But regardless, he didn't have the – he had to borrow money to even defend himself, and it still cost him a lot of money. And then they wiped out his bank accounts in right. huge amounts of penalties and interest. And I had another, another client who – actually went to jail for an identity theft issue and lost all his assets in the process. Um, but he had a, he ran a used car lot and somebody came in to buy his, uh, you know, I don't know if you know much about used car lots, but they sell their packages of notes raise cash so they can go to the, the auction house and buy more cars. Well, he did that and a guy came in, stole his identity information and started a business with his identity information. A couple of years, well, a few years later, IRS shows up at this guy's door saying they owed four hundred thousand dollars in taxes, and he didn't make enough money to ever owe four hundred thousand dollars in taxes. Wow! And um, he ended up going to court, um, and it's kind of a messy story. And it's you know it was his fault here, but he self-represented. Good old country boy down in Mississippi didn't know any better. He said, "I'll just go to court and tell him the deal, and you know they'll understand." And he did got angry in court, got tossed in jail for contempt, and they only, they they made a deal with him after uh, 90 days, said, we'll let you out if you plead guilty. Well, in the process, they had already uh, put liens on his 40-acre farm um, and uh, put liens on his property and wiped out his bank accounts while he was in jail. Right. So this is well, what he pled guilty I think that we can only also assume that these kinds of predations are only going to increase as you know, the boomers retire, as the tax base shrinks with the youth unemployment at like 20, 25%, and you know, this sort of European style sclerotic death by a thousand paper cuts end of the economy that seems to be going on. So the, the, the need for the government to gather funds is going to get greater while the tax base is effectively shrinking. And of course, immigrants will find other places to go once that starts to happen. So there is a lot of... Um, tentacles flailing around grabbing at any kind of cash they can get a hold of uh, as the state really begins to find itself backed into a corner so i think that these kinds of risks are generally going to increase yeah well, and that you know that's that's what we talk about the freedom through internationalization strategy is it's just it's more or less just a geopolitical diversification or a whatever you want to call it multi-jurisdictional planning um you know and people say you know, I, I can't move all. My, you know, I can't leave the U.S. I've got friends, family here. That's fine. You can't do that, but that doesn't mean you can't have two or three bank accounts in another country and maybe your brokerage account. Because nowadays, with technology the way it is, I mean, you, you conduct all your banking and and uh, financial transactions on the internet anyway, right? Right. I mean, I don't I don't care if you bank at Bank of America around the corner. You don't ever go to the bank. 
I mean, you use your debit card and you log in to pay your bills online and you do your wire transfers online and that's it. So what difference does it make if you do that online with a bank in Cook Island or the Bank of America around the corner? Doesn't matter where the server is, right? Yeah, I mean, it, but it does matter. It does matter if you get some uh, some crazy bureaucrat who decides he wants to uh, make make a name for himself, and he seizes all your bank accounts at Bank of America, whereas he can't touch the ones in Cook Islands. Okay, so what kind of assets? I'm sure this is a pretty common question, but given that this is going out to a general internet audience with a wide range of uh, income disparities, obviously, if you have no assets. Well, they've stopped listening already, other than to admire uh, my shiny forehead. But um, what sort of – yes, it is. Um, Now, what sort of uh, asset size uh, or wealth bracket should people start really thinking about this stuff in? Yeah, you know, that's a tough question. I I struggle with that question. And I tell you, this is what I tell people because I do. This is a very common question. I get this all the time. And I tell people, seriously, when you have enough wealth where you can no longer afford to lose it, that's when you need to start thinking about it. Now, I will say in, in our in our consulting practice, um, our typical client runs somewhere around 2 to $20 million U.S. dollars net worth. We do have several clients less than $2 million. We have a lot of real estate investors, for example, like um, – people that are buying rental properties. I mean, rental properties in the U.S. right now are pretty cheap. I mean, you can get some pretty decent rental properties for hundred grand, or even less. Now, and most people are still buying those with a lot of debt. So you could have 20 rental houses, you know, with $100,000 per house. That's a pretty sizable asset you're managing. But you mainly have, um, you know, $200,000 in equity spread amongst all of them. <clears throat> well, you've exposed yourself to an enormous amount of risk there. Right. You're getting cash flow or hopefully you are if you manage your business. Right. You're getting cash flow from 20 rental houses. You're building equity in a pretty sizable investment portfolio of rental properties. Um, but you don't have you don't have that two to 10 or 20 million dollar net worth yet. But with uh, with 20 rental houses, I mean, who knows when the next uh, ne- next tenant you stick in one of those houses is going to start cooking meth in the kitchen and blow it up and kill somebody. Right. So you've got some exposure there. I mean, tenant tenant exposure is huge for property investors. And that person could easily have a two hundred thousand dollar net worth. So they should seriously consider it too. Then you got some people that are sitting on three, four, five, six million dollars in their investment accounts, um, that still have it in their own name. They don't really think anything about it. By all means, they really need to do something. Um the typical what what we call our client avatar is a uh, uh, entrepreneur or investor. They, they're typically they've got some money, maybe not super wealthy yet, but they've got a decent sized business. They've got some investments. They're probably in the 30 to 50, 55 year old range, and um, they're, they're starting to build some exposure and build some wealth. So. It, just a round number, I'd say probably if you want to stick a number on it, maybe a million bucks in assets. But that's that's such an arbitrary number. The guy with, like I said, the guy with 20 rental houses with a $200,000 net worth would be a very good candidate for some asset protection planning as well. Right. right. Now, 
let me let me back up. The guy with twenty rental houses with a two hundred thousand dollar net worth, he doesn't really need any offshore planning. Let me let me let me clarify that there. He probably isn't at the level yet he needs to start setting up offshore trusts and bank accounts and that sort of thing. That might get a little complex, you know, for the for the guy who's still more or less a, a property manager of twenty rental houses. Right, right. Okay, okay. Now, uh, you've also talked about um, having passports in other countries. And uh, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that uh, just to round off the, the topic. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I really think that's a pretty important step. It's a hard step, and it's not something you just flip the switch on is to get that second passport. I mean, there are a couple of economic passport programs you can go with. They're quite expensive, depending on your level of net worth, I suppose. But you're looking like Dominica or St. Kitts. I mean, you're looking a few hundred thousand dollars, but they can be done really quickly, less than a year. Um, otherwise, you're looking – and actually, there's a couple of other economic programs. Like uh, I think Ireland has a new economic citizenship program. Uh, Bulgaria has one. Austria has one. So – it can be done um, pretty quickly. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Otherwise, you need to look at things like uh, your your ancestry. Like, for example, if you had parents or grandparents from Ireland or Italy or um, maybe Netherlands or something like that, uh, most, most of your EU countries have an ancestry program where you can reclaim citizenship through your, your ancestors. Um, of course, you can always uh, marry somebody. Um, of course, one of the funniest ones, I'll get to the why in just a minute, but one of the funniest ones in the Netherlands, if you can prove that you've, you've had an extramarital affair with a Dutch uh, person for more than three years, you're, <laughs> you're entitled to citizenship, if you can believe that. That's, that's the funniest way I know of to get it. The funny thing, too, if you were a man, for example, and you had a girlfriend, for three years, an extramarital affair in the Netherlands. For three years, you're entitled to citizenship, and so is your wife. <laughs> wow, talk about sleeping your way to the top of Europe. Yeah, wow, that's a, uh, that's a very strange way to, uh, to get citizenship, but okay. I guess they're handing it out like a brothel now. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the more, uh, let's say, liberal countries. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know if you've ever been to Amsterdam, but definitely they're, they're very open-minded for sure. Yeah, you know uh, that you're uh, over Amsterdam when the uh, the pilot says that they're going to have to delay landing because of the haze. Uh, so um, that's the best way to check. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if you know this or not. This is a slightly off topic, but as of uh, January 1st this year, uh, you have to be a Dutch citizen now to smoke marijuana there. Really? really? Uh, yeah, that's a new law starting January. They got a lot of pressure from... Uh, like Belgium and Germany and France, because uh, marijuana use there is illegal. Possession and use there is illegal. And so their citizens would all go on holiday and, you know, drive their car over to Amsterdam or whatever and come back with a trunk, trunk full of weed, I guess. And so uh, they got a lot of pressure. And what so is now. That, uh, wow. What is that old uh, saying about? Puritanism, I think it's true of Protestantism, the haunting fear that someone somewhere is having a good time. Uh, that's not. But, you know, the nice thing about uh, the, the Dutch as well is that now with this new new law, I suppose, the the um, 
the passport, uh, actually the last 30 pages are just rolling paper. So you can just tear those out and use those. Uh, so it really doubles up and that can be quite helpful. <laughs> yeah, I think they're even perforated. You can use two That's per right. pages. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke them if you got them. Uh, okay, so listen, uh, let's, uh, let's just remind people um, that, of course, you're, you're globalwealthprotection.com for people who are interested in this kind of stuff. The Global Escape Hatch, I mean, I'm hugely looking forward to it. I mean, it's going to be a lot of great people there. Uh, I'm going to be there for, for the week with my family, and I'm really looking forward to great conversations. I'm really looking forward to a speech I've been working on basically for the last 30 years, so, <laughs> you know, the history of ethics. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to talking about that. And if people want to go check it out, I'll put the link below. Uh, it's not the cheapest libertarian conference, but boy, it's the one with the best snorkeling. I mean, the best speakers and the most information. And that's really what I wanted to plug it. Well, I, I will I will make one little plug about the conference. Yeah, it's definitely not the cheapest event, but there's a couple of things. One, we do include all of the food, uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner and cocktail parties in the price of the event. So that is that is a big bonus. Also, this event is not recorded. It is a be there if you want to hear it event. We do not record this event. We do not sell DVDs to this event. This is absolutely an exclusive uh, attend only event, unlike some of the other events where you can buy the CDs or DVDs afterwards. This is not the case for our event. So it is, it is really truly uh, from my perspective, all the speakers are fantastic. Or 15 of them anyway. I'm, I'm a pretty mediocre speaker myself, but the other 15 are fantastic. Um, but the networking with the speakers and the attendees, because, I mean, I know a lot of the attendees personally. They're personal clients of mine that I've known for quite a while. Um, a lot of them are previous attendees at other conferences, and it's a pretty fascinating bunch of people from all over the world. So it, it's the, the camaraderie and the networking with like-minded people is a huge, huge plus. All right. Well, listen, I mean, of course, I really appreciate the invitation. Anything I could do to help get people out to the event, I'm certainly happy to do. And, and thank you so much for your time. And of course, uh, for those who find uh, your services to be of use, I hope that they will contact you. Um, I don't know a lot about the business, but I truly believe you're the best in the business. So I hope that people will check out your websites. And thanks again for your time. Well, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you in Belize here. Actually, we're less than two months away now. So look forward to seeing you then. All right. Take care, Bobby. Take care.